0: You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at FoxSports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner
1: and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama here with you from 2 to 4 p.m. Hope everybody's having a great Tuesday afternoon. Levi, what say you?
2: How are you doing today, buddy? Doing well, as always. We had some exciting basketball last night in the tournament, but we got more important things to talk about. We didn't get a chance to talk about what the coordinator said yesterday. We were so wrapped up with all the weekend news that happened. We just kind of kind of didn't really get to, ha- get to talk about it. We had the Auburn Open practice, again, NCAA tournament, Auburn baseball. So we're going to talk about that since we didn't really get to hit on it yesterday.
1: Let's dig into it just a little bit here. I want to start on the offensive side of the football with some of the comments that Mike Bobo had to say, and we'll start it with J.J. Biggs here. You talked a bit, You talked about this on yesterday's show just a little bit about him lining up in a couple of different places at that Saturday practice, and then Mike Bobo, Echoing that sentiment here yesterday, a little bit. This tweet from Justin Ferguson's account at JustinFergusonAU, Auburn offensive coordinator Mike Bobo says, JJ Beguese is moving around a lot in the offense. He says, he's never seen a guy that big and that athletic play offense. Usually just the defensive linemen who you always say could be playing offense. Beguese actually does it. Quote, he is the definition of an athletic big man. JJ Beguese moving around the offense. What do you think this means? Does this mean he's a man without a home and they're trying to find a niche for him? Or do you think this means he truly could be a versatile piece in the Auburn offense? And if so, if you do think he's a versatile piece, is that could that mean that he's kind of going back to being a gimmicky player like we saw under Gus Malzahn? Or like like, does he become a staple of the offense? Or is it just something that we see every every once in a while? Like like, is this going to be JJ Pegheese finding a home and being a starter, or is this going to be JJ Pegese? Come again, uh, kind of not gimmicky. That's not the right word that I want to say. I mean, it's possible for it to be gimmicky, but more of like uh, I, I I don't I don't know the right word. I I don't know what I'm I don't know I don't, what I'm looking for.
2: See, I'm I'm iffy on towards of where like how consistent he's going to be playing. I'm I'm not sure yet, but I think this does bode well for him. I don't think it's the without a home. I think he's versatile, and they're trying to capitalize on a player like this because. You don't see guys like this. You don't see guys upwards of 300 pounds with his athleticism. And I think both. I think uh, Coach Bobo sees that. And I think he's trying to utilize him the best that he can. And I think that he could become a factor in this offense. I mean, Boa said that he's expecting him to be a vertical threat as well in the offense. Is that Coach Pete? Does that mean anything? You don't like, hear
1: it? that with 308-pound guys. Exactly. Which is why I don't buy that. I I'm don't see saying, how he ends up being one of your optimal Vertical threats in this offense.
2: I see him as more of a guy who comes in and blocks and runs, you know, more flats and drag routes. Like very, you know, very shallow I don't think you want
1: routes. him out in the flats either because I, he's not yeah. capable of making dudes miss. I don't know how you work JJ Pegues into this offense. At least a modern day offense. It's,
2: and it's something that we haven't really seen so far. Like we haven't really seen what he can be. Maybe, maybe the previous regime just didn't know how to use JJ Pegues. Maybe they, maybe they thought they did. And maybe they thought they had a had the game plan for him, but maybe they have found the blueprint in this new one. Maybe they haven't yet. Maybe they're just trying to see like, hey, this guy's super athletic. I, I want to get him on the field. We just don't know where or how as of right now. I think he's too versatile to not touch the field at times. Does that mean he's going to be a starter? Is it going to be a consistent role? Is it going to be more of a gimmicky type of player that we've seen so far out of him? I don't know what that means yet. It seems like these guys are big on him. It seems like Coach Bobo likes him. And that's, I think that bodes well for him.
1: But would they? Would you think that if the media didn't ask them questions about him? There's, there's that's clearly true. a fascination with yeah. JJ Pegues. There's a, there's been a fascination. I don't want to say, I don't think we've been as fascinated with him as other folks have been. It seems like I'm always seeing a question about JJ Pegues. My, my
2: brother loves him. That's my, that's my brother's favorite player on the team, and he's not alone with that. And I, you know, I know that there are people who there's the. The J.J. Pegues hive. They're the people who just absolutely love him. And the media loves him, too. Like you said, they kind of control the narrative with this because they're the ones asking him. So that's something I didn't really think of. If the media doesn't ask them these questions, do we still have the same sentiment? Do we still think that they're big on this guy?
1: I talk about J.J. Pegues because I I do wonder how he fits in. I think think he's got... The ability to contribute. He's he's a super athletic, three hundred and eight pound human being. So we talk about him on the show. Maybe we are just a little too fascinated with him. I, I think that's fair. Introspectively, I think here on the show, I think we talk about JJ Pegues maybe a little bit too much. Because what does he do well? I, I don't know if I can name any one thing that he does really well or, or even just well any one area of his game. I see him as a project. Now everybody's super fascinated with the guy because he's a athletic freak at 308 pounds you know and I don't mean freak in a negative sense I mean he's an athletic beast
2: he's that's what I mean he's you don't see you don't see guys that size with bad athleticism it's just not coming that's what brings people in and that's why you're so intrigued I I do agree with you he's more of a raw like project player like he could be you're
1: going to have to train this guy up in whatever area of the game you think he's going to contribute in or he's just going to end up being a gimmicky player
2: I agree with that. I agree. I think he's going to have to do something. I would rather him see, I would, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I would rather shed some of the weight and become more of the passing threat because I think that athleticism would transfer very well with a little bit less, you know, tone it up a little bit in terms of some, you know, just a more, what's the, a modern tight end build, a more Travis Kelsey type of build where you shed some weight, you're a little bit more leaner, but you're still a mismatch for people to cover. And that's what I'd like to see from him. I don't really know what they're going to do with him. It's too early to find out. I hope he doesn't fall into the gimmicky player profile because I'm still very hurt. I've been conditioned to hurt with gimmicky players. Gus Malzahn just conditioned me to not like guys like Chandler Cox in the gimmick roles. Chandler Cox is a fantastic football player. But made it I, to the NFL. But when I think of the gimmick players, he comes to mind just because of the Coxcat. That's what like I think I, it's like it almost erased all the good things that he did because he was a very good football player at Auburn. Like you said, he made it to the league, but all I can think about is him spinning around back there trying to throw the football, and I don't want JJ Baggies to go into that same that that same area. I don't want him to become a gimmicky player. And give him player. direction. Yeah, I I want him to be a more consistent player whether that's as a bench player, but I still want him to be more of a, hey, this is your role, like this is what you're doing. Even if his role is versatility and being a versatile tight end, that's not bad. I just don't want to see the only time he comes in is taking a shot at, you know, taking a snap out of the Wildcat or running some sort of crazy play with him where he's in at what whatever position. I mean, he played some slot receiver this past uh this past Saturday. They had him lining up in the slot a couple of times. So I'm not really sure what they're gonna do with him. I just hope what they do is a consistent, non gimmicky approach to his game.
1: I still stand by the reason why JJ Piggies is a topic of conversation is because the media asks so many questions about it. He is a he's a source of fascination, and I understand why. He's a 308 pound beast that can do things that other 308 pound football players can't do. So that's why he's he's often asked about. That's why people are often curious about how he's going to be used, but. Honestly, J.J. Pegues' role and this Auburn offense should be the least of everybody's questions. when, or It should be the last thing that people are asking right now when it, compared to the other things that they are asking. So if you're ranking a hierarchy of people's questions that have been asked about this Auburn offense and the change that it's going through, J.J. Pegues and, and his role should be towards the bottom of your list because he is not a major player in this offense. You should be asking, you know, what's the scheme look like? How are they going to be lining up? And something that has been asked about and has been a topic of conversation that we also saw in the press conference that OC Mike Bobo talked about. Quote, we want to be a wide-open pro-style offense. Also, talking a lot about playing under center. This Auburn team is going to be in the shotgun. They're also going to be under center. Last time we saw Auburn under center on a consistent basis or a semi-consistent basis – was back in 2012 when things went really sideways and it was a full-fledged switch all the way under Scott Leffler, all the way under into the pro-style under-center offense. I don't think Auburn's going to that extreme here, but I
2: do think you're going to see them under-center you know, 30 40% of the time. You're going to see a lot more. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I was trying to find the quote from where he said, I think Bo Nix has only been under-center like 11 times in his lifetime. Something like that, and I, I expect... I expect that to be, you know, that number is obviously going to go up. They're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. They're going to have fullbacks out there at certain times. But I think it's going to be what you think of when you think of a modern NFL pro-style offense where you do have under center elements. You do have that portion of the game, but you're not just stuck in that. You're, you have to spread it out. Like You have to have some sort of spread elements in your game because that's just what football is in 2021 moving forward. But I think it's going to I think what you're going to see, he just says gonna be a pro style offense. I think what you're gonna see is going to be very reminiscent of what you see on Sundays. You're gonna see guys under center a lot more, a lot more than we've seen at Auburn in since twenty twelve. Since then. And we haven't seen it in a while. You're going to is this see, team built to do that? See, I don't know that yet. That's yet to be like, could seen. this
1: get ugly like it did in twenty twelve? I, I don't think so. I, I I'm just gonna go ahead and say when I asked that question, I kinda of asked that. A little rhetorically, yeah, I think because like I, I don't believe it's going to be that bad. There were other issues back in 2012. I think this team is also built a little bit more for the pro style than maybe they were back then. And it's also not a full fed, full-fledged switch over there. But yeah. in 2012, this team was very much so built for the spread, if it's, they were
2: built for anything. Yes, they were built for more of a spread offense. I think this team is just more talented in general and has more guys who can play in both positions. They're not just like purely... Spread guys, like uh, the way I view it is in 2012 when they shifted, that would have been like Oregon at like the height of their power with Chick- Chip Kelly deciding, yeah, let's go under center right now because the team was just not built for something like that. Or you saw it with um, with Rich Rod when he went to Michigan the opposite way, where you were trying to throw in this pro style offense and you were trying to convert it to a spread in one year, and you saw that didn't really work out too well because he couldn't get guys in there fast enough. And that I I, I think this team is just better suited to be able to transition because I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to transition them well. They're not going to say, Hey, we're lining up under center fullback 12 set every single time. They're going to, they're going to have elements of that spread. And I think you'll see it slowly throughout transition through. Like, I don't think it's going to be fully installed like in totality. Like I think you're going to see more spread early on than probably what you typically see just because you're trying to transition some of these guys from what you know, what they're comfortable into the new system.
1: Moving on to the defensive side of the football, some things that Derek Mason had to talk about. He really likes this defensive backfield. You can tell by the way he talks about them. High on Smoke Monday. Something else that we've heard across the early weeks of spring practice here. After only one week in the books, Ford Ladarius Tennyson up there at the other safety spot, yeah, right heard a lot next of good things there about to him. Smoke Monday. Yeah, a lot a of lot people lot of, are high of, on Tennyson. That's right, Smoke Monday and Ladarius Tennyson across the top. Another quote here from Justin Ferguson at J Ferguson AU. Go find him on Twitter. Auburn defensive coordinator Derek Mason on the secondary: "Quote Smoke Monday is going to lead this group. There's no doubt about that. I've seen Ten, as in Ladarius Tennyson, out there, and he's been phenomenal the first few practices. Next to Smoke, I think Roger McCreary is going to be playing on Sundays. And then that's not even including the West Virginia transfer, Dreshawn Miller, and then Jalen Simpson, and then Nehemiah Pritchett." And, and the list goes on and on for this defensive backfield that may be one of the deepest – sneakily, it's one of the deepest units in all of the SEC. Yeah, it's, it's – And this he, is coming from a coach who knows defensive backs because he played defensive back in college.
2: If Derrick Mason says it, I trust it. I trust what Derek Mason says. If he's saying something about a guy and his upside and what he likes out of people, I'm going to trust it. I think my favorite quote from his pre- press conference actually came before the press conference when – uh And it's a little bit more of a funny one when he said Coach Bobo told Derek Mason before he went up there, he said, hey, don't use any of them Stanford or Vanderbilt words in your press conference. And I just thought that was funny. He was just like, hey, don't don't come in here being smart guy. Don't be here doing your smart guy thing that you've been doing for this past, you know, however long it's been since he was at Stanford and then his tenure at Vanderbilt. Just come in here and just talk about the football games and not not your smart guy speech. Don't use those words.
1: Also, another friend of the program, been on the show a few times, at by Nathan King. This is Nathan King of 24 7 Sports, hashtag Auburn. Defensive coordinator Derek Mason calls the Tigers defense a smorgasbord of versatility. I'm like a kid in a candy shop. That was, uh, that was Derek Mason saying he was like a kid in a candy shop and, uh, I just love the fact that he used the word smorgasbord. As you know, that is a, that is a favorite word of mine, and I, I think really, that's an excellent way to describe this defense.
2: It, it really is, and it's a good word. Also, shout-outs to Nathan King for spelling it correctly on the Twitter. That, it threw me off there. I still, I still don't think he knew how to spell it before he t- tweeted it out, though, but uh, <laughs> you, can, you can come find me, Nathan, and you can, you can discuss that with me. I'd love to know.
1: I think smorgasbord is a good way to describe this group yeah. beyond the defensive line. I'm not as pumped about the defensive lines versatility. I, now, truly saying versatility, there are some guys who can move from spot to spot. But are they? Is it good versatility? When You talk about is it good? Like is it actually quality depth? Is is the depth quality? You know what you ask Just because you can question? move, just
2: because you can move all the way across the line or it's all like the way across or the, the defense. you good at it? You, you, yeah, you could play everywhere, but are you good at playing everywhere? Yeah, are You You want quality depth, so I but agree But I think with there that.
1: is a lot of versatility at the second and third levels. Outside of the, of the
2: defensive line, I 100% yeah. agree. I think there is some very quality depth, especially in that defensive back, like that room, man, I think that unit is going to be so good. If the defensive line can step up and just, just a little bit more, just do more than what you did last year, this defense should be a very, very good SEC defense. But I, it's, just all, it's all on the line at this point because I expect the linebackers and the defensive backs with their depth to be able to play a very good brand of football. They should be able to field a good defense. I'm still just worried that some of the defensive backs' talent might get overshadowed if the defensive line struggles to maintain any kind of a pass rush or has trouble stopping the run because if you, stab, if you establish the run, you're going to start cheating up guys because they're getting ran all over you. And the next thing you know, you're getting beat over the top.
1: I'm headed out of here. Headed out to Lee Scott Academy's road game against Glenwood School out in Smith Station. Got a doubleheader tonight. You could catch those ball games on Auburn Network's sister station AU 100. That's 100.3 FM. Part of the Radio Alabama family. You could go and catch that ball game. First pitch at 3:30. If you're looking for some baseball play-by-play tonight, it's going to be a fun area doubleheader this evening. Starting once again at three thirty, as Lee Scott Academy is on the road against Glenwood. I will have play-by-play of that ball game once again on AU One Hundred. That is one hundred point three FM, and then also on the Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook page. That's where you can catch that ball game. Levi's going to hold down the fort. Jaws coming in the studio as well. Stay with us here on, on the line. We'll be back in just a moment.
2: You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw. Noah had to go call the Lee Scott baseball game today. We're live ESPN 1067, Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow us on Twitter, at Levi Fitzwater, at Intern Jaws. We want to hear from you. Give us a phone call, 334-321-1390. Yeah, like we said, Noah is out there calling the Lee Scott and Glenwood baseball game out in Smith Station, Alabama. You can listen to him at 3.30 on AU100, 100.3 FM, or you can find it on Lee Scott Sports Network's Facebook page. It is a doubleheader, so if you're missing some Noah Gardner today, he is going to be on all night with that baseball game man does he just love baseball does i mean he just loves baseball so much
3: listening to him call those uh lee scott baseball games is a lot of fun i actually have gotten to go to a couple of them with him really nice uh really nice outing a lot of fun would really encourage y'all to go listen to that broadcast
2: yeah go give him a listen i mean we're going to be missing him today but me and lance are going to have a lot of fun a lot of good news today also hoping noah doesn't get rained out i can see the weather starting to get a little bit murky for myself, I'm, I'm actually hoping for a little bit of rain because uh, the pollen is it's taking its toll thick. on me. The pollen's taking its toll. It is thick, two Cs, and it has <laughs> just got me down bad. My throat is hurting. I am mucused up. But you know what? I am here fighting through the pollen. Fighting through the pollen to talk about JT Thor, of all people, declaring for the NBA draft. Lance, do you, what, what do you think about that? Because my first initial thought was, this is a little premature.
3: So my thought process immediately, whenever I saw this, was, it was like I was really, really surprised. But at the same time, I'm not very surprised by this move. Uh, Pearl said it himself. Is like I feel like Thor is our our most NBA ready player on the roster right now. I mean, you look at the tools that he has. He's six foot ten. He can run the length of the floor. He can dunk it. He can shoot it. He's very versatile. Um, very talented player. He definitely has that it factor. That next level. Uh, confidence I feel like he has the the ability to elevate his game so I feel like testing the waters is a fantastic idea for him in his freshman season Um, but I don't know necessarily if he is a if he's a top NBA draft pick right now I feel like he will come back to the program but I feel like this is a really smart move to go ahead test the waters see where you're where you're at right now and then come back to Auburn for maybe another year and get some more experience under your belt and and just kind of work on your game I feel like it's the same way with Sharif Cooper in a way, but obviously Sharif Cooper is on a completely different le- level um, as far as like, where he's projected to be drafted. I'm um, going to be honest with you, I feel like Thor will have a better career in the NBA. Just, just looking at just the things that it's we've his seen. Bo- his body. I mean, yeah, he looks like an body. NBA. I've ta- I've talked about it a lot with y'all on air about Sharif Cooper. It's like nothing against the kid. Very talented point guard. Should be a very high draft pick, regardless of whether he stays or goes this season. But I do have some concerns about his game and about his size and his ability to be consistent on the next level. And I think you're going to get that with a guy like JT Thor simply because he's just bigger, stronger, more athletic, and can do a lot more things than Cooper. So I do like this move, but I do believe he will be coming back.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And that's what's important to take away from this because he is testing the waters of the draft. He, it's not a full declaration. I mean, he's declaring for the draft, but he has the option to come back. As, you know, As long as he doesn't take an agent, he can return back to Auburn, which I think he will end up doing. It just seems like this is him gauging where he is at right now with the NBA draft, you know, the draft scouts and the draft guys. And then you can figure out what they're looking at you when they're looking at JT Thor and they're thinking, Hey, this guy's an NBA player, but what is he missing? And then JT Thor can find that from scouts and, you know, from draft guys and whatnot. And then he can go back to Auburn and work on it. And I think if Sharif Cooper comes back, it's going to be helpful to him because obviously you have a top tier point guard running with you. You're going to look a lot better so I think he can also gauge that off of Sharif Cooper. If he's, if uh, JT Thor looks at the team next year and is like, I don't know if it's going to benefit me to stay another year, then yeah, he's going to go to the league and he will get drafted somewhere, I would say, right now. I'm thinking like a late second round or, an, or like a second round guy at best at like where we currently stand right now with him. I agree with you. I think he's coming back. I think he's just testing the waters. See what draft guys are talking about with him. And where he thinks, you know, like where they think he's falling, and where he needs to improve on.
3: It's just to get a gauge, just to get engaged on on what what he should expect heading into the NBA uh, potentially next season. He said, as many Thor said in his post, as many of you know, playing in the NBA has always been a dream, and I feel like that my time is now. This will provide me the opportunity opportunity to continue doing what I love while also taking care of my family. My dream has never been so close, and I look forward to this next chapter with confidence. And determination Thor was a four-star prospect from Georgia even all we all know he is an initially from Alaska I believe average nine and a half points five rebounds one and a half blocks per game is a true freshman uh, definitely a lot of NBA potential there but I do think once he gets a gauge, I'm like, okay, how do scouts view, view me right now? Where do they have me going? What do, what do they think I need to work on? What are, they, what are they like about my game? I think he is going to kind of just get a gauge, and then he's going to come back and improve on those things next season. And I'm going to be honest with you, Levi. I'm surprised Thor is the first person to kind of declare for the NBA draft out of all of the talent that Auburn has on its team. I mean, I would have, been, I would, I would have expected Cooper – to have declared first and then maybe alan flanagan we've seen him projected in some different spots in some top tens uh in different positions uh not not in the top 10 lottery but top 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 10 in his position at his position um so i would have expected either cooper or flanagan to declare um but again the move doesn't surprise me because the more i think about it the more I, i realize like jt thor is your nba ready guy on the roster
2: yeah, he's the he's the guy who's most NBA ready on this roster right now, and but I also think that he could. I, I think it benefits him more to come back simply for the fact that I think he would up his draft stock into sure. that first round. But we also have to see like how much does that matter to him if he just wants to get to the league because right now I'd see he's probably a second round pick in the twenty twenty one NBA draft, but I feel like he would be a first round pick in the twenty twenty two. NBA draft so it really just depends on what he values does he value you know coming back to school for a year making more money or you know coming back to school for a year and giving himself the opportunity to make more money at the next level initially or does he just want to get to the league right now we're gonna see what like we're we're gonna see that's what he's doing right now is just testing the waters seeing where he's at but yeah it's weird it's 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 a little surprising that he's the first guy it wasn't Sharif Cooper it wasn't an Alan Flanagan it was JT Thor, and it caught me sup- by surprise when, when, I got here to the studio today. That was when I saw, like, I initially was able to see it, and I thought, "Whoa, this is not what I was expecting." On uh, my Wednesday news dump was to see that JT Thor was uh, testing the NBA draft waters, and also shout out to JT Thor for doing this on a Wednesday, as everybody knows, Wednesday is the slower sports day. You know, every yeah. Every, yeah. every other day is packed out. So shout out JT Thor for giving us something to talk about on a Wednesday, you know, in the Auburn basketball scope. But that's not it. We also got former player news that I wanted to get to. Horace Spencer is signing with the War Ready TBT team. So now we've got just a plethora of Auburn players on this alumni squad. Does it make you happy seeing Horace Spencer play for TBT?
3: I've got a couple of opinions on this War Ready basketball team. First thing I want to say is thank goodness that this team rebranded, and it is now just an all-Auburn uh, basketball team. Although I will say, could y'all have come up with a better name? Could oh. you have come up with a better name? You <laughs> had War Tamp and then you had War Ready. I mean, come on, y'all. Y'all definitely could have come up with something just a little bit better. But no, honestly, I'm really excited that Spencer is being added to this Auburn squad. I'm really excited to see some of these play- or former players play. Really excited to see guys like Bowers and Canty on the roster. TJ Dunn one of my personal favorites. Uh, all-time at uh, Auburn up there with Jared Harper. Really excited to see these guys play. And Spencer's just another guy that's like, you're not necessarily an Auburn legend, but the time period that I've grown up in, you are an Auburn legend in my eyes. So I'm really happy to see him on the team. I agree with
2: that. I mean, he he was a guy that I, I mean, we just loved watching. He's a guy that, I mean, fans loved him, fans enjoyed him, and he was just that big, just intimidating presence that they had. And I really like what Laurent Smith said when they announced they were they uh, the TBT tweeted out the uh, or the War Ready's roster and Laurent Smith quote tweeted and said just waiting on Mustafa Austin and Samir and just be ready to hand us the millions.
3: If we could get Samir Dowdy and Austin Wiley Whew. on this on this basketball team, they could be darn near unstoppable. I agree, and I mean
2: they said just hand us the millions, and I agree with that. After this break, we're going to come back and talk tournament talk, March Madness, and all the chaos that has ensued. Stay with us, and we'll be right back after this break.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
2: You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw. ESPN 1067, Fox Sports Central, Alabama 98.3. Follow me and Lance on Twitter, at Levi Fitzwater, at Intern Jaws. Give us a phone call, 334-321-1390. Normally when Lance is here, everybody is giving us a call and talking to us. Again, phone number 334-321-1390. Call us and talk to us. Call us and yell at us. We don't care. We just want to hear from you today. I'll take it. Yeah, we're we're ready for it today. We got the thick skin on, the leather skin is here. We are ready for it. And Lance, I've been waiting for this since this last weekend. I'm going to call this segment Explain your take, defend your take, eat your crow. Mm. Pac-12 basketball is
3: back. I uh I have I have some apologies to give out and uh, I'm not too happy about it, but um I said a lot of bad things about Pac-12 basketball, not just last week, but before the season even started. I actually wrote an article. You can, can go check it out on ESPNAU.com, ranking the Power 6 conferences. And I did not give a lot of love to the Pac-12. I just straight up didn't. And I straight up didn't last weekend, and... uh I'm eating my words.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, I think that people legitimately slept on them. And I don't mean that they were just overlooking them. I think people were asleep when they were playing, this so they never really watched <laughs> them. I, I really think they were actually in their bed sleeping and snoozing and just like, oh, whatever, it's the Pac-12. We UCLA, don't care about them.
3: Eh, they'll lose. And, yeah.
2: and then you just see them go on a tear. How many Pac-12 teams made it to the Sweet 16? What was it, like four, let's five? See, let's count one, two, three. Uh, four. Three. Yeah. Yeah, four.
3: Yeah, four. They had
2: a shot with Colorado to make five and have Bill Walton's final four of five teams that he put out there, <laughs> that he wanted a final four of five teams all in the Pac-12. I mean, yeah, they came to play. Um, I mean, you see them knocking off the fraud conference that is the Big Ten. Everybody's talking about how that's the best conference. Yeah, whoa. Yeah, not even, not even close. I
3: want to say real quick that, you know, everybody was talking about last year and it was like whenever something bad would happen, like, oh, that's so 2020. This tournament is the definition of what would have happened in, this is exactly what would have happened in 2020. We've already set a record for upsets in in a March Madness tournament ever. I mean, what is even going on? It's like the Big Ten, which everybody thought was like, Oh, they're the best conference like by far. Like they've got all these different talented teams like even like the bottom tier teams could beat like anybody. It's like you've got Iowa, you've got Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, even though they stink, they can still beat the top-ranked teams and then you get to the tournament. It's like I didn't think Michigan would come out of this alive. Honestly, out of all the t- Big 10 teams, I uh, didn't think Michigan would be the one standing tall at the end. Really surprised uh, what happened to Illinois. Loyola Chicago is obviously just a team of destiny. I feel like we should just leave them alone at this point. I think nobody should be setting them up to overachieve. From here on out everybody just stop talking about them or either hype them up like put, put them at number one in something so that they can underachieve and then we can all be happy and go home.
2: I mean they've been top 10 on Ken Palm throughout the year. The Loyola is a good team and I mean, I, one of the things that I thought there were so many great things to take away from Loyola Chicago beating Illinois. One of which it's that it's Crutwig. the it's guy Krutwig. from Super, the guy from Super Troopers, is out there playing basketball for Loyola Chicago, and I cannot be happier. That guy looks like my 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 uncle. He he looks like a grown man out there playing basketball, and it it's just funny to me to see that guy beating what was everybody. Illinois had the second uh, highest odds to win the tournament behind Gonzaga. They actually had a better they had better odds than Baylor to win the whole thing. And you're telling me some guy named Crutwig comes out there and beats the big bad Big Ten in Illinois. And just I mean, it they didn't just like win. Like they they handed they they, they, they handled
3: them. Okay, everybody want everybody at home listening, I want you to do me a favor go go to Google. And I want you to Google Cameron Crutwig. And I just want you to look at this man and and understand that he dropped a double-double on one of the top five teams in the country and blew them out. Did you see twice uh, Ao for Illinois would be dribbling it down the court and Crutwig in the most like uncomfortable way would like just swat the ball out of his hands and just take it from him. Take it from an All-American point guard. He just took the ball from him. It's like... What is even going on with Loyola, Loyola Chicago? It's like again, just leave them alone. Let everybody stop talking about them. Like no, no, nobody, nobody, uh, nobody talk. Just don't talk about them. Eventually they'll they'll just lose. They'll lose to a team, and then they'll no longer be a team of destiny. I do not want to see this team in the final four. <laughs> it. I don't know. I, I I guess that sounds bad. It's like well, I don't have anything against like Sister Jean or like the program or anything like that. It's like I don't want to see this happen again. I don't want to see my bracket destroyed. I just want to see a team that is good, when a game that they should. I, I put
2: them in one of my many brackets in the final four. I had them in – that was in the one that was just utter chaos where I had them advancing to the final four. And I think I have them playing Gonzaga, if I'm not mistaken, in that bracket, which, uh look, it, it's setting up very nicely for Gonzaga and Baylor because all these other teams are just kind of dropping like flies. But I wouldn't put it past USC right now. The Pac-12 is hot. I wouldn't put it past Oregon to you know go on a run. It just seems like Oregon the entire year does nothing outside of win their conference and become a seven seed or lower, and then go on a tournament run. Dominate. Dana Altman always does this every year, and it's frustrating to see. I don't know. It's the tournament's been crazy. Loyola Chicago, Oral Roberts. We hadn't even talked about Oral Roberts. Syracuse just putting the clamps on West Virginia, and.
3: I, 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 did, I did make that Syracuse pick. I will I, say that. I, 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 I predicted them beating West Virginia. If,
2: if Syracuse wins one game, and, and this is the way the tournament sets up for me. This is how I view this. If they win their first game of the weekend, I think they're like, I like them to, you, you know what I mean? Like, I like mm-hmm. them to win the second game a lot. Right. Because this team, so they're playing Houston. Houston has an opportunity to sit here the entire week and diagnose the 2-3 zone that Syracuse runs. West Virginia had a day, to like a a defense that they never that they don't see throughout the years. I mean, it's it's different than uh, and you might say like oh well teams play that in the ACC and they beat them all the time. Yeah, they see it every year. They know what they're doing against it. Like Coach K has been playing against Syracuse in this zone forever. West Virginia never sees it, and they had one day to prepare for it, and they honestly failed they could not prepare for it they were not ready for it
3: yeah I think the difference between the Syracuse team and Syracuse teams over the past couple of years is that you know they would rely so much on that 2-3 zone and their defense to kind of carry them throughout games so you look at this team it's like they can score they can light it up from deep the amount of times that I've seen a Buddy Bayheim logo three like just scrolling through Instagram is like they've got some really lethal offensive talent and I can see them beating Houston I can see them making the final four
2: I mean, I could see that as well. I mean, Buddy Beheim. I, I know they're talking about him being the number one overall pick in the NBA draft now from uh, his absolute amazing performance that he had this weekend. But no, in all seriousness, Syracuse has a really good chance, in my opinion, to, to come out and uh, win because I think that Houston hasn't been a great offensive team. Houston's been a real defense, like a slower—I mean, they've been okay. They've been an efficient offensive team, but they play the game at a really slow pace and for for me personally I feel like that leans towards what Syracuse does I agree I like I think that out of all like these teams that they could have matched up with talking about Syracuse I feel like this is one that they're they're looking at and thinking yeah like we can we we kind of got a good matchup it's going to be slower Houston I know Noah Noah's not a fan of Houston in this uh in this field he said they're kind of they haven't really played anybody. A little bit undervalued. They play really slow defensive with style of pace. And when it comes down to tournament time, once you start getting to the Elite Eight, all of those team in the Sweet Sixteen and the Elite Eight round, all of those teams know how to play defense. Right. It's going to be the ones that score. You see what happened to Kansas last night. Kansas can play great defense, but when you can't score, you can't score. And that's it's 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 unfortunate that that happens. Um, the other one that everybody's probably talking about or want to talk about around here, Alabama. I mean, they were pretty dominant last night against Maryland. I thought Maryland might have had a chance to kind of steal one over from the tie, but then I realized, you know, they play in the Big Ten Conference, the fraud conference that everybody said was great all year long, and uh turns out not good at all. So, I don't know. Uh, if looking at this, outside of the three one-seeds that are left, do you have anybody who you just, that is impressive to you that you think has a legitimate shot like who do you who do you like out of the teams left that that the not num- a, not a number one seed
3: I think uh you got to look at the top half of the bracket and you got to look at USC Oregon and Arkansas I feel like those are three teams that can get really hot here to end the season uh I wasn't really impressed with the way that USC ended the regular season but we're seeing what they what they're doing now we saw what they did to Kansas that was brutal uh Oregon, incredibly hot right now, like you said, a really dark dark horse team to kind of make the Final Four. Would not be surprised if either of these teams could duke it out with Gonzaga and maybe squeak out a win. Is that likely? I don't know, but I definitely think that they have the, the firepower to do so. Uh, Looking at Arkansas, you know, uh, I feel like that's an easy win against Oral Roberts. I know, I know that may come back to bite me, but I feel like that's a really, really easy win against Oral Roberts. And you get to play a Baylor team that I've seen play two or three times before this season, and I'm just, I'm not incredibly impressed with them. I feel like they're the weakest one seed out of the three remaining.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the one team that is sticking out to me right now, that is just like, that I feel like nobody's talking about and it's Villanova. I know that everybody thought they after they lost their first two games after losing Colin Gillespie to the MCL tear, everybody wrote Villanova off when they dropped those, two, those first two games without him, and now look at them sitting in the Sweet 16, and you have a head coach in Jay Wright who has won two national championships, and he knows how to get a team to the championship game. I really like what Villanova's doing right now. I think nobody is talking about them, which that is what's like that's what I like that's how I'd like to do things. I try to fade the public and kind of think about it. So if I'm going away from the one seats, I like Villanova. I like Loyola Chicago, and they're just some teams that uh there's some teams that, like there's some teams that have been there before. Loyola Chicago's been to the final four before, and Villanova is also. A team that has won two championships and i just really like what they're doing so we got a caller on the line right now but we have to go to a break real quick so we're gonna to go to the break stay on the line with us my man and we will get to you right after this break okay you are on the line with levi fitzwater and lance daw espn 1067 fox sports central alabama 98 3 we got a caller on the line here. What's your name? What you want to talk about today? We didn't get to quite catch your name, so introduce yourself and what do you want to talk about today, my man.
4: Yeah, this is Bama Dog calling from Opelika.
2: What's up, Bama Dog? Good to hear from you again.
4: Hey, and I'm finna jump on this soapbox right quick, and I'm finna uh, put on these crimson colored glasses. Do it. And uh, and kind of try to take you guys to the woods here. You guys the side up here, rip, I mentioned off Arkansas and. Michigan, Gonzaga, and um, who else? UCLA, USC. and then y'all just glossed over Bama.
2: That's true. That's that true. We did remember, definitely gloss remember, over Alabama.
4: Remember, they won eight games in a row. Eight straight games in a row going into this tournament uh, after last night. Then, this is the same team that dropped 23 threes on LSU put up a hundred and I think it was a hundred and five on George. And they won a couple of these games based on defense only. And they won a couple of games with John Petty shooting terrible. And he won last night with Herb Jones in foul trouble. I don't even think he got in double digits in points. Now I said all that to say this, this is not your grandfather's Alabama team. This is something totally different. We've never seen this before. Even though we've seen the Leon Douglases that got the bad call against Indiana in 1976, even though we've seen the Ernest Shelton of two, I think it was 08, 06, something like that, or the team that lost to Providence or the team got beat by This is a totally different team. When those threes are falling, this team is absolutely unable to be beat. Coach Oak, knows what he's doing. Did you guys notice how he adjusted that lineup last night? He took his 6'10 senior, put him on the bench, and he put in a shirt freshman, started him, Warren Gary. Because of the makeup of Maryland's team, he wanted somebody more agile because Maryland's big guy to go out, get on the three-point line or whatever, and, and, and be pretty good around the basket. He put Warren Gary. And it worked to perfection. And I'm telling y'all, you know, I, I stopped that listening to y'all. I, watch, I listen to you guys every day. And the reason I listen to you guys is because I get off at 3 p.m. And as soon as I put this radio on 106.7, you guys are there, and I love y'all's show. But I heard y'all predict Bama to get, to get beat by LSU that that night they dropped 23 threes on them. And I don't think y'all predict Bama to win the SEC tournament or the regular season. So I'm telling you, back up a little bit, look at this team a little bit more closely. Somebody's on this team has caught fire, and nobody's really giving this guy no credit but his teammate. He has caught in fire. He was a four-star coming out of high school, came in the same player class with Herb Jones and John Petty. That's Mr. Alex Reese. The kid can shoot the basketball. He's just been on drought for the longest. Every shot he made last night did not touch a rim. He hit I maybe I think he hit three or four threes. Did not touch a rim. Jalen Shackerford, this kid they found out of Hesperia, California, left it. Deadly. Primo is back. Deadly. Out of Canada. And they didn't do what they did this last night without Willis. He didn't have a he didn't have a good game. I'm telling you, and John Pettiton got Get them out in the range. Um, y'all can hear from me now. I will eat crow if I have to later. I'm freaking bama to win this whole thing. I'll take my crimson glasses off and say that. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Appreciate it.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much for the call. Really appreciate it. You you made some fantastic points there. And he's he's right.
2: We did gloss over Alabama in that last and segment. I'm, we were talking about basketball. I teams. wanted
3: to break down the team for just a second. I did want to hit some of the points that you I, hit just there. I'll be here, go ahead. Uh, it's, you know, you made made a fantastic point. This team is winning eight in a row heading into this tournament. It's a very, very talented basketball squad. Something I wanted to say is that they don't necessarily have a true leader. This is a complete basketball team, and they could be very dangerous if they if they get hot from behind the three-point line like you mentioned John Petty's found his stroke 20 points last night four of nine from the three-point line I mean obviously this team has some very lethal weapons on the offensive end and I really like what they've got going right now and I can definitely see them making a push I can see them getting past Michigan honestly I thought LSU would have had a bit of a a chance against uh, Michigan we saw how that game went it was back and forth back and forth up until the very end and, you know, I've seen this Bama team be able to clutch out really close games. We saw what they did against LSU in the SEC tournament. I think this team has a lot of potential heading into the Sweet 16. And, and you're right. This is a really, really complete basketball team, and nobody should be sleeping on them. And they're deep. They're deep. They have they're so deep. many they're different deep. players. They can,
4: run 10, they can run 10 and 11 out there on the floor. And I'm telling tell you something else, o, Nate O.D. He was really worried after that Iowa game. He was. That kind of bothered him. He called Coach Patino. Coach Patino told him that when he was at Louisville and when he was at Kentucky, and everybody know what kind of teams Patino had at Louisville and Kentucky in his heyday. He had some serious, really good basketball teams. He told Coach Oates that some of the toughest games in the NCAA tournament was the first couple of games. Even for his team, as talented as those teams were, he said that they're just jitters on that big stage. When you when you playing in that first couple of games in the NCAA tournament, they're all jitters. He said, but once that team settles down, get their legs up on them and catch their breath and kinda of like, you know, get the get their eyes back to normal size and, and not the size of a fifty cent pieces. He said and that team settles in, then it is it, over with. They're gonna play they're gonna play their ball. I thought that was just amazing, coming from Patino, somebody that would actually know a little bit about, you know, playing in this tournament. So you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to just come down on you guys like that, but man, I've been I've been following this this Alabama basketball. I've been following Alabama basketball forever, just like anything else Alabama plays, even softball. But I've been following this particular team and watching they old recruit bring guys in and whatever and stuff like that. You know, him going all the way to Canada and putting this primo kid in. A lot of people don't know, but this this was a top one hundred ESPN recruit out of Canada. And I think he's recruiting some more up that way too. It's amazing how he just go and find these players that fit his system. How he got uh John Petty to buy in. They they interviewed John Petty on one of the late night um ESPN shows and John Petty went through the whole spiel. with sitting down with Coach Oates, how he quickly flipped John Petty back to talk to him in his stand, told him what the situation was going to be and how it would be. And then earlier this year, I don't know if anybody remembers this, he sent John Petty home because he wasn't playing Nate Oates basketball. And that was a huge gamble. John Petty could have totally tripped out. Went into the transfer portal and not even been here for
2: this long. Now I don't want to cut what? you off, Bama Doll, but we gotta we gotta go to our break right. right now. heartbreak. break. Right. Right. Call us back later. Call us back later on if you want to talk about Alabama basketball with us. We'll hit it up on there, and we won't overlook them. My promise. Stay on the line with us. Going into hour number two, we got a full pack show. We'll see you in the next hour.
0: You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at FoxSports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
2: You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw. ESPN 1067 Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3. Follow us on Twitter at Levi Fitzwater at jaws. Give us a call. We want to hear from you. 334 321 1390 Big thanks to Bama Dog for giving us a call there. He had to call us out. We did straight up gloss over Alabama when we were talking about all the other teams in the field. And uh rightfully so. We had to catch we had to catch a little bit from it because, you know, this is the in my opinion, this is the best defensive team left in there. And I think it's them and Loyola Chicago as the two best defensive team, but I think Alabama is the clear best defensive team in this country. And at the pace they play, when they're making threes, It's hard to beat. They're almost impossible to beat because of how good how good of a defensive team they are. And you have, let's go ahead and say it, veteran guard play, tenacious D. They're, they're the ones you're going to say every year when you're talking about tournament teams. Veteran guard play, tenacious D, they have both of those. I mean, I actually have them in you know one of my brackets. I have them winning in one of my brackets because... If this team gets hot like they have been, John Petty, he's
3: back. He just needs to see one go in. This team can make a run. Yeah, uh we were talking about it a little bit over the break, just talking about how over the past uh 4 or 5 years, you know, the teams that have won the national championship or at least been there to compete for it have been in like I believe it's something about like the top 30 in both adjusted defensive efficiency and adjusted offensive efficiency, and I think you get both of those with this Alabama team. Very very talented on the defensive end. Uh, there's a bunch of bunch of veteran guys who have played with each other and know how to play some defense. And on the, on the offensive side of the floor, I mean they run the floor quickly. They shoot a lot of threes, and it's something that this Auburn team uh, that made the Final Four didn't possess. They didn't they didn't really play a whole lot of defense, but they could shoot the lights out of it. If you can play defense and shoot. the lights out of it you're going to be almost impossible to stop i think this alabama team can get past michigan especially without isaiah livers in the lineup uh, i think michigan is actually going to struggle a little bit with florida state i think florida state does a little bit of what alabama does they shoot a lot of threes they run fast and then they play some solid defense they're just I, I feel like florida state's the walmart brand of alabama uh, but i i think alabama can make it out of this east region and i think they do have a, a very legitimate shot to win the national title Fantastic call by Bama Dog there, laid out all of his points, fantastic, really appreciated that phone call.
2: Yeah, we always love it when you guys call, again, the phone number 334-321-1390, give us a call. We're going to shift the conversation a little bit back towards Auburn football here. We're going to talk about the bracket and the March Madness later and some of the matchups and maybe which game we're looking forward to the most out of the Sweet 16 that's coming up this e- or this weekend. And this past weekend, we had Auburn having an open practice. A lot of people got to go and enjoy that. Lance, I haven't got to hear from you on that. Did you enjoy anything that you saw? or there anything that stuck out to you from the practice? Or you just kind of, it's a practice.
3: Yeah, well, we were talking about this a little bit last time. And I'll say it again. I feel like this is a fantastic move by the, by the staff and by Harston to just kind of get the fans a little bit more connected with the team. We haven't really seen something like this since Tuberville. Really happy with the move here. Not necessarily anything that I was going to look to see like anything specific, any any secrets that the team could possibly be holding, I feel like it was a very generic practice. Uh, I am happy with the fact that they did hold an open practice though, and they kind of let fans in to kind of see like here here's what kind of goes on. I don't really feel like there was a lot that was told, other than the fact that Malcolm Johnson Jr. was getting first team reps, and I feel like he could be a dark horse in this offense this season. Um, but other than that, you know, seeing Jeremiah Wright out there starting with the first team that was interesting to see. Um, but other than that not a whole lot to take away from it other than the fact that i'm just happy that they did it and i'm really looking forward to uh to a day here in just a few weeks really looking forward to see this team compete uh against each other just kind of get a little bit more insight on okay well what exactly is this team going to run i know it's going to be very vanilla very bland and generic but i do want to kind of see uh what the team is going to look like heading into 2021
2: yeah it's going to be great to see a day when it comes out um i'll I, one thing that at first I was, I was very confused, and then I kind of realized that it made more sense as I went along, was seeing Trey Lindsey go out there as a second guy. I was like, what? At, it, at first, my, it just caught me off guard. And then I thought about it. I said, okay, Grant Lloyd's hurt. That makes sense. Demetrius Davis is, you know, a, he's a freshman. He's just getting in. He's probably not up to speed on some of what's going on. And you probably just want to have a guy who you can trust to kind of run an offense that's been around for a little bit. So at first, I remember s- sitting there thinking that and was like, man. This is this is mind-blowing. I was not expecting this at all. But then after, you know, I, I looked at it and said, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's a reason why that was. And, man, we talked about this yesterday. I think Brian Harson is winning over the fans. I think he's doing a very good job with the moves he's making. It seems very calculated, very methodical as his approach to what he wants and how he wants to get fans engaged. To me, it seems that he wants – This transparent and he wants people to see like, hey, this is how we're doing things. Come in and see it. Hop on this ride and come with us. And I'm excited. I'm excited for that. And I think a lot of uh, Auburn fans should be excited as well. Um, Ultimately, it comes down to how that translates. Like, how does that translate into winning? Because that's what's going to be the big one. Obviously, winning rules everything. But I like what we got going on here. I love the football we got. Spring training right around the corner. I mean, we are the spring training. We got this A-Day game, the spring game, right around the corner. We are less than a month away from that. NFL drafts coming up. You're going to see some of the former Auburn players get their names called, hopefully. A few of them guys that were not, you know, completely sold on, you know, getting drafted or, you know, having a high draft prospect. But, yeah, man, I mean, NFL drafts my favorite time of year. You got some Auburn guys who are looking to go into the draft. Lance, do you have any thoughts on the guys who are going out there right now for the draft?
3: Well, I think Roger McCreary is definitely the, the top prospect that everybody should be yep. looking at. I understand, you know, Anthony Schwartz and Seth Williams definitely have potential, but I don't really see them panning out like like McCreary can. I feel like McCreary has a lot more uh, potential at the next level. and I'm really excited to see uh, where, where he goes uh, I, I, he's definitely top on my list. And then next, I would probably put Schwartz. I've not been a massive fan of Seth Williams over his Auburn career simply because we've talked about this. What is the one thing that he can do really well at the collegiate level? And he can catch those 50-50 balls. And I don't really see that translating to the next level because I feel like he's going to be matched up with some some really talented corners. He didn't really get that uh, in, in his college career, aside from J.C. Horn, and we saw how that, that matchup went. Uh, But I I like Schwartz over Williams at that second guy that I would be looking at simply because he's got all that speed, and I feel like he has a little bit more potential uh, just as far as route running and stuff like that goes. So I would say McCreary is a guy that I'm looking at. Then we go Schwartz, and then we go Williams.
2: I I agree with that. I I mean, I I think that Schwartz is the guy who comes out first out of those receivers. I think uh, he's a bit more of a project guy in terms of he's not quite as developed in certain areas, but what receiver coming out of Auburn is going to be developed in terms of route tree and whatnot? He's a guy that someone's going to take a bite on just because of how fast he is. That's that's what it comes down to. He's going to get drafted because he's
3: fast. It's world class speed. You can't you yeah. can't pass that up.
2: There's like, it, I mean his his ceiling. I mean his floor. In my opinion, is just like a special teams like player, which that's nothing to scoff at in the NFL. Special teams will straight up win you games in the NFL. And there's a lot of guys, I mean, I think about it like a Justin Hardy who just signed with the New York Jets. He was a staple on the New Orleans Saints special teams throughout, what, the past six, seven years, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. He could be a guy like that, even if it doesn't pan out at receiver. And if it does, like you're looking at a guy with a ceiling that could be something like a Tyreek Hill, where you have that, you know, that lightning speed that can get you down the field, or you can end up like a Henry Ruggs, where you're not really doing too much at all on the receiving end. That's, and also I think that's just a little bit more of a, <clears throat> how he was schemed out there in Oakland. So, yeah, Auburn football is, it's coming up. It's coming up. We got the spring game coming up, and the next thing you know, it will be the fall season. And i I'm excited. New coaching staff. I mean, one of which was Derek Mason, who had his press conference yesterday. Me and Noah talked about that in the first segment of the show, along with Coach Bobo, who as well uh, had his press conference as well yesterday. Uh, did you have any takeaways from any of that, Lance? Did you see anything that you liked? I got to talk to Noah about it. I didn't get to quite talk to you. Um, I know that Derek Mason. He's a guy that people are really impressed with. They they really like what's going on with him on the defensive side. I like it from Brian Harson's perspective when every time it seems that Brian Harson's talking about defense, he says, Yeah, the defense will do this or they're gonna take care of that. It just seems like he trusts Derek Mason so much.
3: Yeah, and I'm really excited with the energy that Derek Mason's going to bring to this program. Uh, I was really happy to hear him say things like, you know, if I had to make this decision ten times out of ten, I would have picked Auburn. Uh, I, I love this program, really excited to be here. I feel like Auburn needs just kind of a shot in the arm after what was just kind of a a a, a weak, a weak um, coaching staff in terms of energy uh, on, under Malzahn. I don't really feel like Kevin Steele was that kind of fired-up guy. Malzahn surely wasn't. Um, I feel like Auburn needs a shot in the arm on the defensive side of the ball to kind of get these guys going, really happy with what I see there. And as far as Bobo, you know, I – I have my concerns about Mike Bobo just based off of what he's done in the SEC in the past. I don't feel like he's been an incredibly efficient offensive coordinator, but I don't really know if Auburn's going to need somebody that's going to blow you out of the water. I'm I'm just kind of – I'm wait and see with Mike Bobo because I I don't really know a whole lot about him. But what I do know is that he's not been elite, and it's just – it's not a fantastic pick. In my opinion, but it's definitely not a bad one. So I'm just kind of wait and see on Mike Bobo, see what he does with this offense. I'm pretty sure he's going to be uh, he's going to be a mixture of under center and in the gun uh, with Bo Nix, and that'll be interesting to see. Uh, so it's just it's just wait and see how everything pans out. And again, really looking forward to a day to kind of see what this offense looks like. Again, no, it's going to be vanilla, but I just want to see what the team looks like to kind of get a feel heading into the fall camp.
2: I'm just ready to see it. I'm just ready to see the offensive schemes to a degree. Like, I'm ready to see more of it. Again, it's going to be, like you said, it's going to be vanilla. A lot of what you're seeing out of the offense and defensive side of things, you're not going to see, you know, these very integral schemes and whatnot that will be implemented later on that you'll see once SEC and, you know, out of conference play when the regular season starts. You're going to see kind of a shell of what's to come. But, man, it's. It's exciting. It's exciting for me to, to think that Bo Nix is going to be under center. He's probably taken 10 snaps under center all year with something that Brian Harson said, and he's going to be coming in and implementing this. I like it from, I just like the energy that Derek Mason brings. I like what Coach Bobo is bringing because I've seen what he has done with quarterbacks before. He's put quarterbacks in the league, and I think that's something that, in my opinion, speaks volumes and what Bo Nix could possibly do. And right now, Bo Nix is not an NFL quarterback. He has potential. Like he would be a practice squad player at best right now. But with the right development, that is something that he could do. He could achieve that. I mean, you saw a guy like Mac Jones that nobody was really talking about too much going into this year. He might be a first round draft pick in the NFL. It's all about what kind of scheme are you in and what guys are around you. Mac Jones can throw dimes. He can throw some dimes and he's got a beautiful deep ball. Bo Nix hasn't had the greatest deep ball. He's 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 been a little lackluster in some of his accurate throw or let's say he's been inconsistent with some of his accuracy in terms of some of the short and intermediate like some out routes and stuff that you want to see a, an NFL style quarterback make. So I I think BoBo can get him to that level. But it's going to be hard to get the consistency out of him. But I think Bobo can do that.
3: And something else that I think that Bobo, yeah, you're exactly right. I think Bobo can definitely bring some consistency to Bo Nicks. Something else I feel like he can definitely help Nick's work on is mechanics. I feel like we saw so many different times over the past couple of seasons. Bo Nicks will just, will, will, will do something. And it's obvious that he has such athletic talent. And he's definitely a gifted athlete. But he would make mental mistakes, or make make footwork mistakes, or just arm mechanical issues. That's just like you don't make that halfway through your sophomore year. You make that decision in your freshman year when you're when you're raw and undeveloped, and you don't really know what you're doing. And I feel like. Bobo, like you said, it's going to bring some consistency to Nix's game. It's going to kind of try and calm him down a little bit, make sure he stays in that pocket a little bit longer, make sure he doesn't throw off his back foot, make sure he doesn't just just freak out and roll to his right whenever – Whenever he immediately gets the ball. And I feel like part of that is how bad the offensive line play has been. But at the same time, Bonix has had opportunities, uh, especially this last season, to stand in and to make a throw. And immediately he would just bail from the pocket. And I feel like he's got to be able to trust his guys a little bit more. And he's got to be able to keep his eyes downfield. And I think we are going to see him do that more often this season. And that's why I think the offense is going to click a lot more than this past year's team. And then also, you got Tank Bigsby coming back, and that's somebody that you can also rely on. So I feel like Nix is going to be a lot more comfortable in this offense.
2: I agree. I think it's going to be a focal point with Tank Bigsby and having Bo Nix. Tank Bigsby is going to be Bo Nix's best friend. Let's be honest. He's going to be able to establish the run with, with Tank Bigsby. You would hope that Auburn wants to establish the run with Tank Bigsby, and that's going to allow a more comfortable Bo Nix in the pocket play action boot outs and whatnot things like that that are really going to help him out throughout this year man we've had a good show today really good show i've enjoyed everything having lance in the studio with me it's always fun we're gonna head to break real quick here and then on the other side of this break we're going to talk about something different and i'm kind of kind of excited about this one so we'll catch you on the other side of the break You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw. ESPN 1067, Fox Sports Central, Alabama 98.3. Follow Lance and I on Twitter, at Levi Fitzwater, at Intern Jaws. And we want to hear from you. Give us a phone call, 334-321-1390. We had a good call with Bama Dog earlier. We'd love to hear from everybody else. Whatever's on your mind, call us. Let you Talk to us. Yell at us, whatever you want to do, 334-321-1390. Like I said earlier, no Noah today. He is calling Lee Scott and Glenwood baseball game over on AU100, 100.3 FM, and Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook. Starts off at 3.30 if you want to go over and check him out. He's on a doubleheader. He will be there all night. He's never leaving. He is not going to leave Lee Scott ever. He's actually going to move his house. Over in, well, over into Glenwood, and he's gonna live in Smith Station for the rest of his life now. Yes, sir. Let's that's get he, it. <laughs> that's what he's gonna do.
3: So, uh, all about the grind.
2: Oh yeah, he's all about the grind. Last segment we were talking about Bo Nix and going to the NFL and like quarterback talk a little bit towards the end of it, and it made me start thinking. So I know Auburn and you know the Alabama area. There's no professional sports teams. Right. There's not one, but typically people gravitate towards the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, and sometimes in the Auburn area, they'll gravitate towards the Carolina Panthers. But typically, people from around this area, they do actually follow the Atlanta Falcons. And it got me thinking, I want to just talk a little bit quickly, or just like a little segment about what Atlanta is going to do in the draft. And do they move on from Matt Ryan? And maybe not just move on from him, but because I think they're kind of locked in with him for the next year or two. Do they draft his successor? What say you, Lance?
3: Well, like... I understand that Atlanta reworked Matt Ryan's contract recently, and I believe that's led some people to think that, you know, Atlanta's going to be committed to Matt Ryan for the for the future, like the immediate future. Uh, but I feel like just, lo- just looking at some of these mock drafts that CBS and the NFL have been putting out and ESPN have been putting out, it's like they fully expected the Falcons to draft a quarterback here at this position. And I've seen a lot of mock drafts saying they gotta go with Trey Lance, but I feel like they gotta go with the hometown kid. They gotta go with a guy like Justin Fields. I think we're gonna see Atlanta pick a quarterback, and I would not be surprised if it was Fields. Uh, I think he's a lot more talented than than Trey Lance is. I feel like he has a lot more potential. Trey Lance, I feel like, has the potential to be a bust. Um, So I like what I see in Fields, and I think that's the that's the direction Atlanta should be trending in. Now, will Justin be there by the time they get around to to picking? Who knows? But I, I I fully expect them to draft a quarterback, and if so, I think it's going to be Fields, if he's still there on the board.
2: Yeah, I I agree to it to, a, to an extent. I think they're going quarterback here. I like Trey Lance a little bit more than Justin Fields because I think he has more upside. But also with that kind of more upside, more potential brings the fact of well, that, that's an also a higher variance to bust. Right and. In my opinion, I think that's kind of what you want to do as an NFL team. You want to take a guy who I would rather take the guy with the potential than the safe guy and end up in that eight and eight, uh, you know, that eight, eight, nine, seven, ten, six range where you're like kind of middling around mediocrity for a little bit. I'd rather just go ahead and go all in. If we lose, let's just do it again in a few years and we'll take a chance next year. If we win and he, he becomes like what his potential looks like then we're sitting pretty. Like a guy like Patrick Mahomes, where Patrick Mahomes came out and a lot of people were thinking, this kid from Texas Tech that nobody's paid attention to, plays at Tumbleweed University, nobody cares. And I was one of them. I didn't want my team to draft him. And my team was going to before the Chiefs traded up before the Saints picked him. Gracious. And I didn't want to. They traded right before us to pick him. The Saints were picking him with the next pick. They were dead set on taking him and I would have been irate. I wanted no part of that. Now I see that from from what I've seen the past few years, it seems like the guy that you take with the more upside becomes more fruitful for you. You look at your Josh Allen, your Patrick Mahomes, and guys like that that had a couple questions that you were thinking like, "Wow, uh, I would have taken, I would have rather had a Sam Darnold or a Josh Rosen." And now you're seeing those kind of guys struggle a bit. I I like the Atlanta Falcons to try and go after maybe a Trey Lance, but will he be there? I think people are kind of falling into this camp where, obviously, number one is locked out. The Jaguars are taking Trevor Lawrence. It's not even a question. They're going to take Trevor Lawrence. And then, number two, people are starting to think that Zach Wilson's going to be the guy that the Jets are taking. I don't know how much I believe into that. And I don't know if that's the guy that you want. I mean, he can make some NFL throws. His arm talent is just incredible. Just go If if you're not familiar with BYU football and you didn't watch a lot of Zach Wilson, go just go look at some of his highlights. Dude has an absolute cannon for an arm, so I can see why he'd be there too. And I then, was
3: going to ask you: Do you think you you believe fully believe that Zach Wilson is a top three pick for I, sure?
2: I don't fully believe for sure. From what I have seen, the way I always go through it is I see what people are mocking, and typically when people are mocking him to certain areas, that means there's some sort of interest between the team. And I haven't looked into it too much in terms of what like what do I truly believe it? And I'm starting to see the smoke of Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson to the jets. And that makes me believe that that's the direction they go in. And it surprises me a bit. I feel like that's a pick that it, it feels like a jets pick. It, it feels like a jets pick because I, I personally, I like Zach Wilson. He's my number two quarterback in this class. If I was to mock out and rank the guys, like I'm going Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields out of the guys that I want to take. So I I see that, but do they even move on from Darnold? I don't even know if they really want to absolutely move on from Darnold. Maybe they can just keep trying to build around him. And if a guy like Zach Wilson is sitting there at three, I would not be surprised to see someone like the Panthers or the football team or someone who has the ability to trade up to that three spot to take a guy like Zach Wilson – because I think the Panthers probably trade up anyway to go after Trey Lance or Justin Fields because they want to usurp that from the Falcons. They don't want the Falcons... They want the Falcons to get the leftover. Right. They want to they get the, the... The Panthers probably would want to trade up into that position and force the Falcons to get whoever they didn't want, whether that be Justin Fields or Trey Lance. I think they're getting a good quarterback regardless and a guy they can build around. I also wouldn't be surprised if... if you You might see the Falcons in a situation where they trade downward and maybe they just rot maybe they're not in love with some of these quarterbacks and they trade downward and maybe grab a couple more picks and try to go after a guy like Patrick Sertain and maybe bring in a guy like Mac Jones at the quarterback position with a later first round pick instead of an early first round pick there's a lot in the air I'm sold as Zach Wilson is my quarterback too but I'm not sold that the Jets are picking him
3: something I wanted to ask you is well where do you see Mac Jones falling in this quarterback class do you see him kind of on the same pace as justin fields i'm looking at a mock draft right now they actually have fields going to the patriots and then they have mac jones going to the panthers do you feel like mac jones has the potential to kind of climb the rankings here and maybe maybe get into that top seven eight pick
2: i think he i think he has the potential to be able to climb up that high will he maybe not and i think it's basically it's 100 based on the fact that one quarterback quarterbacks are always going to climb you, you saw Kyler Murray at the Kyler Murray at the beginning of the uh, the draft cycle. He was being mocked 15 to the Dolphins, and where did he end up? Number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Quarterbacks start climbing. I remember Cam Newton wasn't anywhere near the number one pick when he came out of college. Ends up being number one. That's just how that's just how it goes. It's they're going to start off a little like they're going to be guys who are way towards the back who really start to climb up. And I think Mac Jones is a guy who. Honestly, I think he could move up because I think I think the kid's talented. Man, he made some great NFL throws. A lot of people are going to knock on him because he's an Alabama quarterback, and he—they're always going to say, "Well, he had all of these, you know, guys around him that made him better. They had the best roster compared to what was around him." And I get that. I get that. I get that. I get that. But I think the dude has arm strength. He can make some. He can make money throws. He can make some throws into tight windows and on NFL route concepts I I'm hesitant to say that he will climb up to maybe a top 8 but I could I could see him as the guy that the Patriots end up picking.
3: I think circling back real quick to the Falcons here, I think that their quarterback pick or whatever they pick uh, starts and ends with what the Jets decide to do in this draft. 100%. I feel like if they decide to kind of ride, ride it out with Darnold, because you got to think about what they're tr- trying to build on that offensive line. They've gotten some pieces in the draft over the past couple of years, and they have t- talented receivers. They got Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, J- Jamison Crowder. They got Keelan Cole. I mean, that's a talented group of pass catchers right there. And it's like, if you decide not to step in the direction of a guy like Justin Fields or Zach Wilson where would the where would the Jets churn where would they go who, who would they who would they pick in their draft and I just don't see them I don't see them going anywhere other than quarterback even if they do decide they want to kind of ride it out with Sam Darnold um, because if they if they decide a year from now is like oh well Darnold really isn't the guy well you just you you have a top three pick that you can now churn to and kind of like get him some reps and get him going um, but if they if they decide not to go with him I think it kind of shakes up this quarterback class because now, does Atlanta look at a guy like Trey Lance? Do they look at a guy like Fields? Or do they look at a guy like Zach Wilson? Which, like you said, you, we believe that he is a very, very talented pick. Potential to be top three, if not... I've seen some mock drafts have him over Trevor Lawrence. So we'll just have to see how this shakes out. But I believe it starts and ends with the Jets pick.
2: Yeah, and it all, it's all tethered to that Jets pick. We'll be right back after this break. Stay with us on the line.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
2: You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw. ESPN 106.7 Fox Sports Central, Alabama 98.3. Follow Lance and I on Twitter at Levi Fitzwater at Intern Jaws. Give us a phone call 334-321-1390. Noah not here today. We talked about that. He is actually, should be going through first pitch right now over on AU100 100.3 FM calling Lee Scott at Glenwood Double Header. It's also on Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook page. We got a fun little segment that we haven't done in a good minute, it feels like. We're going to throw out the wheel of misfortune here. Let's get that going.
1: It's time for the Wheel of Misfortune. We take a look at the butt-fumbling, head-scratching choke artist of the week and select the biggest loser on the Wheel of Misfortune.
3: Let's roll it, boys. Let's go ahead and get that wheel going. (laughs) The University of Illinois and their fan base. And anybody who picked Illinois to go to the Final Four? Uh, uh, at Point Gardner on Twitter. Let's add Noah Gardner into this list. We're going to add him into the Wheel of Misfortune today. Really disappointed and shocked that Illinois could not get past an eight seed. I understand that it was Loyola Chicago and it was kind of a team of destiny that they kind of got paired up against. But honestly, if you can't get past Cameron Crutwig, what are you doing, man? Look at the man. You just got, you just got dunked on by Cameron Crutwig. Again, tell everybody. Go Google a picture of this man and understand that he dropped a double-double on an All-American point guard. It, 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 was, it was mind-boggling. I don't understand what happened and how Illinois just collapsed. I don't think that this Illinois Chicago, or Loyola Chicago team is that good, but goodness gracious, Illinois, what are you doing?
2: I think, I mean, I think Loyola Chicago is a pretty good team. They're good, but, but are they that good? But I mean, Illinois was the second favorite to win the tournament. And I mean, I felt like they kept trying to remind you during the broadcast. Every time they were talking about Krutwig, they were saying he's an athlete. Like they, I felt like they were trying to tell you, like, no, really, he is an athlete. I know he looks like the dude from Super Troopers, but I promise you, he is an athlete. And yeah, I mean, Noah Gardner. I mean, he, he was he was high on Illinois. I was high on Illinois. He picked him to win. And I had him in bracket. the national title. I mean, a lot of us did. I have a, most of my brackets had them either in the Final Four. Or in the National Championship game, one the only one that didn't was the one that I had Loyola Chicago going to the Final Four. And that was just the chaos bracket where you're picking all upsets and just kind of hoping for madness to happen. And even in that, nobody was picking Oral Roberts to make it to the Sweet 16. So even then, you're just not even. Like, you're just not, like, you can't predict that. But yeah, Illinois, that's a that's a pretty good one. That's a really good Wheel of Misfortune candidate. I got one myself here, so we're going to spin this wheel and get it going.
0: Roll it! Here we go!
2: I'm going to take it a step further from what you just did, and I'm going to say the Big Ten in general. And that's calling out Ohio State, that's calling out Michigan State, that's calling out Maryland. The fraud conference that everybody said all year was the best conference in basketball wasn't even close. What happened?
3: Where are they at? Well, Well, they're out of the tournament for sure that's that's for one and for two you know honestly like just like the illinois game is like i don't understand how this conference just collapsed it was so obvious that they've got some very talented players got some very good coaches and they've got overall they've got some fantastic teams i i have a really hard time grasping the the not just two or three teams from the big 10 collapsing but this entire conference just folding the moment it got to tournament time i don't really know how it happened uh, but it's disappointing, nonetheless, not just for the Big Ten, but for everybody's brackets in general because everybody was like, oh, well, this is a fantastic conference. This is the powerhouse. Everybody should be picking all these different teams. And it's like, no, it's actually the Pac-12.
2: I mean, yeah, everybody thought that the Big Ten was the best conference, and now they have one team left standing in Michigan. And what was the other team that uh, – oh, what was the other, other conference that everybody was so high on that they said was the second best team? Uh, the, the Big 12. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Big 12, who also – has one team
3: left? All my homies know his pain. My bracket destroyed.
2: Texas um, lost to Abilene Christian.
3: Okay, there's, an, there's another Final Four team that it's like, I, I chose them to go to the Final Four. It's like, how? Y'all have so much talent, you're so much more athletic. How did you lose to Alabine Christian? What were you doing?
2: Oklahoma State drops one to Oregon State, a
3: team that snuck in the tournament, stole a bid by winning their conference tournament. Well, there's another team of destiny. We may get that to that in a, in a later segment, talking about some matchups here in the Sweet 16, two teams of destiny going at it uh, in, in the Sweet 16. Uh, but, you know, Oregon State, I feel like is a somewhat of a different case because, like like I said, I'll say it for the millionth time, team of destiny, you just kind of run into those sometimes. Auburn, was a was a buzzsaw that killed Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky in that 2019 uh, NCAA tournament. So those things are to be expected every now and then, but I don't usually expect an entire conference to just fall apart.
2: And it's crazy. It's it's crazy to me that that's what happened over this, you know, over the past like weekend and I mean I guess last night as well because that's when they finished up, you know, the round of 32 games. I was not expecting the Big Ten and the Big 12 to have one team each.
3: In the Sweet 16, while the Pac-12 has four teams, would have never happened. It would have like if you had told me at the beginning of this season that this was the case, I would have laughed at you. I would have been like, "What are you smoking?" Because that is not even anywhere close to possible. It's just impossible. I would I would have told you it was impossible for this scenario to play out with uh, Bill Walton's Final Five. And Maybe. if
2: I and if I told you that the ACC had two teams left and Syracuse was one of them, you'd laugh at that as well.
3: It's like the ACC, everybody kept talking about like, oh, the ACC's having a terrible down year. It's like, oh, the conference is awful and like the top tier teams aren't actually that good. It's like, well, they did they did better than the Big Twelve and the Big Ten.
2: Yeah, I mean they have more they have more teams as well as the SEC. We were down in the SEC and now they have Alabama and Arkansas in the sweet sixteen as well. So yeah, I mean to kind of round out what we what we were talking about, how the Big Ten was everybody's consensus best conference this year, and they just by abs- far and like it just, wasn't even yeah, close. Like, I mean, we they they were so far above everybody else, and they just got absolutely embarrassed, manhandled. I mean, it was it was embarrassing.
3: Them West Coast boys, they came to play some ball.
2: Yeah, I mean, they came to play. And we're going to go through, and I think we're going to round out the rest of our show. Just I mean, you're going to go through and just pick some of these games and break down some of these matchups in the next two segments as we get out of here. But yeah, I, I wanted to take this segment to really look at the losers of what happened over the weekend. And one in particular that stands out from the Big Ten. I know you said Illinois. For me, it's Ohio State. I mean, not only... Has not only did you just make it to the tournament as a two seed and get beat by Oral Roberts, I had to look up where Oral Roberts is. I had I still n- don't know where it is. Oklahoma, really? Yeah, I had no idea. I was thinking like somewhere up north. Oral Roberts had no idea, and the backstory behind all of the, like, that university and whatnot. It's it was an interesting little rabbit hole that I went down. So I'm glad that that happened because it gave me you know a good like hour of research that I was doing. But not only did Ohio State make it to the tournament get beat by a 15 seed as a two seed in the tournament, I mean, you think about what Ohio State is viewed as by a lot of the people in the country, especially around here in terms of football. It seems that everybody thinks in football they're frauds because they make it to the national championship game or the the playoffs, and then they get smoked by Alabama most years.
3: By a real team.
2: Yeah, most of the time it's by a real team. I mean, it was Clemson one year. Um, this year they had the revenge game against Clemson, but they got smoked by Alabama in the championship game. Yeah, they beat Ohio or they beat uh, Alabama in 2014 in the playoffs. But that Ohio State that Ohio State team was just loaded with pros from top to bottom, like even more so than they are right now. Just Michael Thomas, Ezekiel Elliott type of guys playing on that roster
3: well they're not consistently at the top of the the the, uh, college basketball or football world and whenever they are you know like 50 percent of the time they will they'll they'll pull an oral roberts game and they'll just completely choke away a game that they should have stayed in or they should have won i.e the two playoff games against clemson the one where they got completely shut out and the one where they uh, or justin fields throws two interceptions one of
2: which seals the game in the in the end zone i mean you can go back even further to uh, if I'm not mistaken, what 2006 2007 college basketball season where they play Florida and Greg Oden and that squad that they had, they lose to Florida in the championship game.
3: Both basketball and football, uh, I believe, in 2006 yeah. or seven, if I'm not mistaken,
2: both lost to both lost to, Florida. to an
3: SEC team. Yeah, it's just like and
2: then, you, and then you go to the so you lost to Florida one year in the football, you lost to LSU the next year in football, you lost to Florida in the national championship in that year you come in this game you get upset you know taken out of the tournament you get blown out in the national championship game by Alabama you get hosed by Clemson two years in you know two years in the playoffs you get your revenge this year but for what what did you do with it
3: I will say though I will keep my mouth shut if they can beat if Oral Roberts can beat uh, back-to-back SEC teams if they can beat Florida and if then they can beat Arkansas to uh, play what will most likely be Baylor Whoa. In the Elite Eight. Cap. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, I, 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 would, I would keep my mouth shut then. It's like, okay, well, you beat two of the teams from my conference. I, I understand where you're coming from. But you've got to look at where this Ohio State team was mentally heading into this NCAA tournament. Started the year off really, really strong. I mean, they were absolutely on fire. Everybody thought that this would be the clear number one team in the country for, for just a hot moment. And then they started losing to what we thought was a really good conference. And we got to see them in the Big Ten tournament kind of make a run. They did beat Michigan, but they couldn't quite finish it off against Illinois, and so they were kind of headed in on a down note, and they got beat by a team that just just played better basketball. Ohio State didn't really seem to be in it mentally, and they just got beat.
2: Yeah, it it, it was it was a quick, I mean, it just seemed like a, a team that you thought was going to go on a run because they started off strong, they hit a bit of a rough patch, they get hot in the Big Ten tournament, almost beat Illinois, but, I mean, now you look back and say, what did that even mean because – uh
3: illinois Illinois, couldn't win a game (laughs)
2: illinois lost in chicago it's just interesting it's interesting to see how a team like that can do it next segment we will be breaking down some of these matchups and we'll see if oral roberts has a chance to pull off a miracle and beat arkansas i'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of spoiler i don't think that that is possible no (laughs) but we will talk about that over the next over the next segment and probably going into the last segment of this show as well stick with us on the line
0: On The line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 1067.
2: You are on the line with Levi Fitzwater and Lance Daw, ESPN 1067 Fox Sports Central Alabama. Man, follow us on Twitter at Levi Fitzwater at Intern Jaws. I know it's the last segment. I kept saying we had multiple segments left. I mean, it just went by so fast that I just forgot. I didn't even realize what time it was. It just crept up on us real quick. But we still got time to take phone calls. If you want to call us, 334-321-1390. We're going to wrap up the show with a rapid-fire selection of who me and Lansing are going to go through from the Sweet 16 onto the Elite Eight. But first, what's on TV tonight?
1: Hey, everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Superhero TV shows on CW. At 7, it'll be The Flash. And following it at 8, Superman and Lois is on. Movie selections for tonight. If you were accidentally sent back in time, would you be able to keep yourself from messing up the future? Back to the Future is on AMC at 7. If you are craving basketball with no NCAA tournament on tonight, Hoosiers is on BBC at 7. Thor gets exiled to Earth in our first encounter with him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Thor is on FX at 6.30. Send it back to 1982 with Fast Time at Ridgemont High on IFC at 7. The Italian Stallion, Rocky Balboa, gets a shot at the bell. The one that ignited the franchise, Rocky One is on HBO at 7. The NCAA tournament is on standby until the Sweet 16 gets started this weekend, so the NBA has the basketball TV schedule to itself. Two NBA games are on TNT tonight starting at 6.30 with the Los Angeles Lakers at the New Orleans Pelicans. At 9, catch the Philadelphia 76ers at the Golden State Warriors. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight.
2: Auburn Baseball also playing South Alabama tonight in Montgomery. You'll have me and Noah coming back tomorrow to talk all about that. But right now we're going to wrap the show up with the NCAA basketball tournament because, I mean, that's what's on most people's minds. That's what's been on our mind. We've been thoroughly enjoying talking about it and kind of breaking down some of the the madness that has been happening this March. So we'll go ahead and start off with the bracket I'm looking at And we're going to go Baylor and Villanova. Lance, what do you think about Baylor-Villanova?
3: Well, I'm surprised that Villanova was actually able to make it this far. I feel like they got a tough win against a good Winthrop squad. And then they got a kind of an easy win over a North Texas team. Uh, I'm really surprised that Purdue wasn't able to pull that game out against North Texas. But Villanova able to win a handily there. And they've just kind of had what the kids call a Mickey Mouse path to the Sweet 16. And what the Mickey Mouse path means is that they didn't really do anything in order to get where they're at currently. So uh, I, I have Baylor winning this game. Uh, Baylor's favored by 6.5, uh, I believe, in this contest. Uh, actually, they have the highest uh, point spread of the four games that are happening this Saturday. The over... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I let, let, me, let me restate myself. The, the the total points scored in this game, they have the highest out of the four games this Saturday at 140.5. Don't really see a whole lot... Of points being scored by Villanova, especially if ba- Baylor is playing uh, some really good defense like they always do, I think Baylor's going to win this game. and They're going to move on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to disagree a little bit. Um, I'm going to say that Villanova actually ends up winning this game. I'm going to trust Jay Wright and his two rings that he has over what I think are the frauds that are the Baylor Bears playing in that weak Big Twelve conference. As long you know, I don't I don't trust them. I, I haven't liked what I seen. From, I don't like what I've seen from them. I think they're frauds. I think they're overrated. I'm just going to roll with Jay Wright, best-looking college coach in basketball. That's facts. easy. The most handsome man in all of college basketball. He's going to have the Wildcats ready to go. He's going to have them cats purring, and they're going to get the upset over Baylor. Let's shift over here to the, actually the first game. I overlooked this one when I was trying to read this list. The first game that's coming on net, or coming on Saturday. You're going to have Oregon State and Loyola Chicago, the 12th seed versus the 8th seed, just like how everybody drew it up. Everybody knew <laughs> that Oregon State and Loyola Chicago were going to meet head-to-head in the Sweet 16 because you know why? Two teams of destiny. Lance, what do you think?
3: I think you got to go Loyola here. I mean, there's no other way you can go. If you don't pick— them to win every single game from here on out all the way up until the national championship. You are picking against a team of destiny. How could you be so foolish? Chicago wins, I think, big in this game. I think they I think they just roll. They roll and they get to the Elite Eight easily.
2: I agree with that. I, think every, I, I really do believe that Loyola Chicago is going to win. I think they're going to win pretty handily in that matchup. I think the defense is going to be too stifling for Oregon State. They struggled with Oklahoma State, who I've been under-impressed with this year as well. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Ramblers in that one as well. Then you're going to have Arkansas and Oral Roberts. Arkansas is actually an 11-point favorite, and it seems that most people are backing Oral Roberts to catch that 11 points. It leans me towards the Hogs here. It leans me towards the Razorbacks, and I think that they're probably. I, I think Arkansas blows them out. I think this is just. I think Arkansas is going to be too overwhelming. They're not sleeping on this team.
3: Yeah, I think Arkansas wins big in this matchup. I don't feel like Oral Roberts can beat Ohio State, and then two SEC SEC teams back to back. I think Arkansas makes the Elite Eight.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that as well. I think Arkansas is too overwhelming. I don't think they're overlooking this team. Ohio State might have overlooked them just a bit. And I think that uh, Florida didn't really have... I-, I-, I think Florida wasn't a great team, and I think they might have been just like, hey, man, uh, it's Oral Roberts. Uh, we'll go to Syracuse and Houston now on that last one.
3: I like the orange i agree i think i think syracuse is going to win this game i haven't like noah and y'all have talked about it, i don't really like what i've seen from houston this season they're only like I, a game that i could say is like eh, that's kind of a good win is the texas tech win and i haven't been overly impressed with texas tech this season at all so i think syracuse wins this game i feel like that 3-2 zone is going to be suffocating couple that with some really potent, potent offensive threats and buddy Bayheim and the other guard that they have right now is is currently slipping my mind but they both can really shoot it light it up from deep i have syracuse winning this game
2: i agree with that then you shift over to the next day on sunday creighton at gonzaga poor poor creighton poor creighton i think gonzaga is gonna dog walk creighton as uh i saw a comment on twitter say that i'm gonna go gonzaga i don't think this is close i mean creighton's been doing their thing uh has been an impressive guy throughout the year gonzaga just too overwhelming for creighton yeah i agree just way too much. We're we're going to go with the Zags here. We'll move on real quick to that because I mean there's not much to say. Gonzaga's is going to win. Michigan Florida State, the battle of the frauds, the battle of the the Big 10 frauds and the frauds of Florida the century. State. <laughs> You're going to roll with Florida State, I'm sure. Leonard Hamilton and the boys. I'm going to go with Michigan because I just I, I've been calling Florida State frauds all year. I can't keep way, I, I, please beat them. I keep calling them frauds. I need someone to beat them,
3: please. <laughs> I'm please. Gonna, I'm gonna do it with Florida State because, like I said earlier, I feel like they're a Walmart brand Alabama, and I feel like Michigan does not match up well with them. I feel like Florida State definitely has a really good chance to win this game, and I think that they will match up with Alabama in the Elite Eight. I believe that Alabama. You think Alabama? I think Alabama's gonna beat UCLA, UCLA. I think this is where their run ends. Uh, I know I've I've knocked on UCLA's guard play and they have definitely proved me wrong as of late but I think their streak ends here
2: I mean even even if you want to knock their guard play and or even you're going to backtrack on their guard play Alabama's guard play is so overwhelming especially from a defensive standpoint shout out Bama dog I'm gonna go with Alabama on this one I think they might even win this one big just because I think with a week to prep Nate Oates is going to have this team ready to play UCLA I
3: agree I agree big and then we got the Pac-12 matchup Oregon USC I'm going with the Ducks who you taking I'm definitely going with Oregon in this game I don't think that USC has enough firepower to slow them down
2: makes sense another great episode on the line Lance thanks for joining me today and helping me out while Noah is out there just calling them baseball games that he loves to call
3: absolutely man it's been a lot of fun
2: we will see you guys tomorrow have a great day okay